Yeah. Hey. We back with another one. You know what it is. It's your host, Dante Bailey. And this is Back in the Days. This is a podcast where we reminisce on some of the past experiences we might have had. And, you know, I just go back to my memory banks and try to see how different experiences of my past have played a role into, you know, my adulthood. You know, anxiety, self-esteem, self-perception, self-love, self-doubt, all the good shit. This is season two, episode two. I told y'all last time I've been doing some therapy, you know? Got me thinking about a lot of different things and we're trying to make our reference points of, of, of what we want to manifest and, and bring to fruition experiences that are, are rooted in the future. You know, things that we can't see that we want to bring to ourselves. We got to envision it. And uh, sometimes you got to go back to go forward. So that's what we do here. We go back in the days, you know. Emphasis on that days part, you know. Days out. Zone out. Sometimes you really got to catch what you missed. And for me, I think sometimes life moves so fast, we don't always process the present, you know? We looking back, we looking forward, we forget about the right now. So before I get into what's going on in this episode, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know? I had a really good conversation the other day with one of my friends. She was out here shooting campaign for New Balance. So the conversation we had really made me recognize, like, how much am I appreciating my now? How much am I appreciating looking around my crib and seeing this fly-ass loft in L.A. downtown apartment, right? Everything's always taken care of, even when I don't know how it's taken care of. The universe takes care of me. Am I appreciating my friendships and the love that I have and the process that I'm in right now? You know, it's not always result-oriented, it's process-oriented. You gotta appreciate that process, be it good or bad. So speaking of good and bad, the way that we perceive things, (laughs) the football season is officially over, y'all. I've been in L.A. for the course of three L.A. championships. We done had the Dodgers, we done had the Lakers, and now we have the Rams. And I felt a little small, weird sense of pride when it came to the Rams winning. And I'm not even from L.A., you know. It was something about just what it did to the city, the way it electrified the city. And I think of that hometown pride that people have out here, you know. I think of all the hometown pride we have. I used to have a lot of hometown pride when it came to sports in particular. But uh, I've always been conflicted about it. I grew up a Redskins fan, you know. Washington, D.C., that was a thing, man. We, we we take pride in our hometown teams, man. It's Nationals, Wizards, Capitals, and, of course, the Redskins. But I have had a little conflict with that because I'm Choctaw Chickasaw. And uh, I've always been very aware of that. I know what Redskins meant. In this episode here, this isn't a debate about the name, but... 
It's more about the moral internal conflict when there's things that make you feel big, like a pride for your city, one that's rooted in blackness and black excellence. And one of the representations of that pride is something that also makes you conflicted about if you feel degraded or not. I'm black, I'm Native American, and we know this country here was built off of the labor of one group and enslavement and the genocide of another, and I'm connected to both, so. We about to break it down, y'all. I'm gonna go back to my memory banks. This episode here is called Hail to the Dead Skins. Let's get into it. Put on your seatbelts. Ride with me. Washington Redskins, go fuck yourself. Sure, we'd be happy to take your money. Yep, just go to our Kickstarter page. Okay, nice idiot. Uh-huh, fuck you, bye-bye. You are Eric Cartman? Yes, I know. My name is Dan Snyder. I'm the president and owner of the Washington Redskins. Oh, cool, please, take a seat. Thank you, but I will stand. Nice, I like that. Young man, we ask that you please stop using the name Washington Redskins for your organization. Stop? But why? You have no right to use our name to get attention. Uh, the trademark got pulled, so I'm totally free to use the name, actually. Look, don't you see that when you call your organization the Washington Redskins, it's offensive to us? How is it offensive? It's derogatory, Mr. Cartman. Makes us feel like a joke! Guys, guys! I have total respect for you. When I named my company Washington Redskins, it was out of deep appreciation for your team and your people. Well, we don't feel very respected. <laughs> I love South Park. But, uh, you know, I mean, South Park does a good job of making very obvious jokes out of very obvious problems in society. You know, it's satirical. It's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> but, man, growing up, I really... I grew up going to Redskins games my entire life as a child. We had season tickets. I don't know how the hell my father afforded season tickets. Um, to my understand, I believe my grandfather had them growing up and as a result um he passed them down to my father and my uncle as he got older and you know my uncle was always like a little more well-to-do i don't even know if i could say he's more well-to-do i have no clue honestly now i'm thinking about it but he was definitely he was a locksmith and he always had a hustle he used to sell these things called uh happy feet <laughs> They were slippers. He he sold these like slippers out of the back of his trunk. I'm sure it was shit that fell off of a truck or something like that. But they're like they're like sneakers, real big joints or whatever, like they're oversized sneakers. But they were slippers, and he also sold like colognes and all types of. He, you know, everybody got that uncle who just a hustler. But he had much lower seats. He had season tickets too, but his seats were like you know, 100 level or whatever, like real close to the game. But we had the good nosebleeds. <laughs> we had them good 400 level seats that was right behind the goalposts. And um, I think my father probably did a good job of making us appreciate, you know, having a little while also having a lot because, like I said, we were lower middle class, probably closer to poor than 
the middle class. But at the same time, we had season tickets to a Redskins game, so we couldn't have been doing too terrible growing up. You know what I'm saying? But also that could have just been financially irresponsible, which I think it probably was, considering that we were struggling. But, you know, people make room for what they want to be able to do. You know, my parents had date nights at concerts and shit like that. I think I, I talked a little bit about the whole financial environment that I, I grew up seeing around me, you know. But I know that we went to them games every week. Or every time they had a home game, you know, and it used to be so exciting thinking back to it, like, because we had season tickets and everybody wanted to go. So it was like you got to choose which games would be the most exciting. And of course, being a kid, you know, I'm eight or nine or whatever the fuck, like, I didn't really have preference, per se, as to which games I wanted to go to. The most important games you knew you weren't going to go to. I wasn't going to be allowed to go to a Cowboys game. I wasn't going to be able to go to an Eagles game. Eagles game was like the game that my aunt Debbie always wanted to go to. Cowboys game was always like somebody important, I guess, wanted to go. But I just loved football as a kid. So I, I, I was happy to go to any game. And if nobody else wanted to go, which a lot of times people be busy and stuff like that, you know, my father would ask, like, well, hey, want to go to the game? Sometimes my brother would go. Sometimes my oldest brother would go. My oldest brother wouldn't go as much because, you know, it's like bonding time between my father and my oldest brother. And they had their thing. But he would go every once in a while. And sometimes my father would give the tickets to people just so they can go for the weekend. But it, it wasn't glorious because, like I said, it was nosebleed seats. But you were going to the game. And it's exciting to say, yeah, I'm going to the game this weekend, you know. Uh, I remember I used to be so excited because it was just a big fucking adventure. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really used to be excited to get like a hot dog or chicken tenders and French fries. And I, I always loved getting a drink at the game because of the fact that, you know, it had the little Redskins players on it, like memorabilia. And I probably should have noticed like red flags of my father kind of being a hoarder to some extent. When growing up, we had so many memorabilia cups in the house. Like, I don't know how many Redskins cups we had, but they used to, like, take up an entire cabinet in the house. And I don't know if he thought maybe they were collector's items or whatever, but he just used to love to keep them. We would never throw them away, you know, because they had pictures of Redskins players on them or different graphics and different things of that nature. And I think that mattered to my father, you know. But I just remember always having these cups and keeping the cups. Sometimes it'd be multiple of the same cup. <laughs> and those ended up being the cups that we would use to do bullshit with. Like, you know, if you had to clean your sneakers or something like that, and you was using a toothbrush, you put the dirty water and shit like that, or like paintbrush cups and stuff like that. But why did we have so many damn cups? And it was five of us in the house. I never understood I, to this day, I, I should have really noticed that. Like, why don't we get rid of some of these damn cups? We never got rid of those cups until my parents split up. And it was like years later. And I think my mother forgot they were even in there, you know. But it was a thing. It was really like a thing, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, I don't know. I, I just remember always wearing my Redskins gear to go to the games. You know, I had a big Redskins jacket that I loved or like a hat or a jersey or something. And I used to feel really like 
weird about like I was excited to be able to say I go to the game because my friends couldn't say the same you know and it was fun and exciting to be able to go to the game but I used to always feel bad because we couldn't afford jerseys like we couldn't afford real jerseys I would say you know my father was cheap as hell and we used to go to like Models or uh what's the place they used to have I mean sports authority had them too but we used to go to like um like Burlington Coat Factory or like uh <laughs> where else had them little cheap ass fake oh, I'm trying to remember it was Burlington Coat Factory and it was one other place that had like the fake Redskins jerseys where like and you knew it was fake you know everything as a kid is we think of it as real and fake. It's so crazy now being an adult and being at school with a bunch of white people and they don't give a fuck about any of this shit. But as a kid, it was a, a it was about your status. You know, there was an episode of Atlanta where they were talking about the FUBU jersey and one of them was real and one of them was fake. And Donald Glover's character has so much anxiety about the idea of getting called out for a fake jersey and he got his cousin to lie because he was a bully and say that the other guys was fake, even though it was real. And he ended up literally getting jumped for having a fake jersey. <laughs> it's not funny. But it, I, I related so much to that episode because I just remember. Like, you know, it's different if you have a Daryl Green jersey, right? That was like a Hall of Fame cornerback for the Redskins. You have a Daryl Green jersey. It's clearly it, say, it says number 28 on it. All this other type of stuff. It might even say green on it, but it's not stitched, you know? There's no actual Redskins logo on it. You know, it's, it's it just looked cheap in comparison to the one that had the NFL crest and the Redskins logo on it. And I, I, I used to be so like, like, why can't we just get the real one? Like, what's the difference? Like, I... Oh, they're going to tease me. They're going to make fun of me. And you know they would get you at school. You'd go to school and they would, boy, you got that fake ass shit, boy. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> they would eat you up. They really would. And it was depressing, you know, because you want to show your pride. You want to show your hometown pride. You want to be like, yeah, I got my jersey. It was fly. It was fly to be like, yeah, I'm from here. And I know we couldn't really do that. And as I'm in therapy now and thinking back to expressing my feelings, right? Like I, I'm always reminiscing, but what I'm going to try to do more this season, more than just telling the stories is really deciphering how I felt, how those things made me feel. And it's funny because I do know that it made me feel like less valuable. The idea that I didn't have a like a real stitched logo encrusted jersey right because I would look at other people and say they have more than me I would be comparing myself when in truth they might have had the fresh ass jersey and everything like that but they couldn't necessarily afford to go to the game or whatever the case you know what I'm saying like so why why did I attribute my value to things like that and it's funny because I remember my father trying to tell me stuff like that as a kid and I just couldn't hear him it, it wasn't I wasn't hearing that shit. I was like, come on, man, you just cheap. <laughs> but he's like, you know, you, there's more important things to spend money on than a $200 jersey or a $100 jersey, you know? And I, I get it now as an adult because I'm a thrifter, you know? And it's funny because those some of those same jerseys 
that was some shit back then. Now people be thrifting for trying to find. <laughs> it's, it's just so interesting how everything changes because there's a sense of nostalgia around it. There's a sense of understanding that other families couldn't afford it either. And other kids shared the same feelings, you know, and I don't know. We just either way, we went to them games getting back to that part and I I was so happy to just spend the time bonding with my dad, you know, bonding and being excited and eating a hot dog or eating a, 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 a what you call it, chicken tender plate or whatever. And of course they passed beers on. We, my father never drank, so we never had beers, but you know, you got to sit there and somebody's passes down the money you got money comes through your hands you're like oh money but you got to pass it all the way down to the vendor vendor passes back up here it's passing past everybody this can never happen in covid times now um <laughs> and you know they would score a touchdown everybody gets up and high fives yeah you know i think I, ex I i loved it because even in being introduced to racism so early in my life sports is the one place where racism doesn't necessarily exist at least for those four hours, you know? As long as y'all all got on that same crest, that same jersey, that same colors, you fuck with each other. So just high fives and hugs and all this other type of stuff. Same person who might step over you in the street if you was homeless or say you looked aggressive and they were afraid of you, you know? Now you're just talking sports with each other and it's not that deep. And politics doesn't usually exist in sports, or at least it didn't when I was growing up. All of this new stuff with Black Lives Matter and, you know, all these initiatives and taking a knee. I think it's good for social awareness because players are obviously getting the opportunity to use their platform to create awareness. But at the same time, I understand the thinking. I don't agree with, but I understand the thinking of a lot of conservative people who are like, why the fuck are you taking away the one place where I don't have to see this shit? You know, sports is the place where I go to escape. I don't want to see somebody take a knee and make a political stance in the middle of my game. And it's not because I don't care about police brutality, but because I want a day off. This is my only day off. And now you're bringing politics here, too. There's no escape from a revolutionary mind state. You know, somebody like myself, I'm like, yeah, no escape. You don't need no escape. You need to be thinking about this shit because we can't help but think about this shit. It affects our lives 24-7. So until you recognize that, we're going to put it in your face and we're going to pound the pavement, nigga. It is what it is. You got to see it. You got to see it until you care and feel like it's just as much your job to do something. Because if you don't, then that's the same privilege that you live in that we're talking about. And it's either you with us or you against us because people die every day and people get discriminated against every day. And it really actually affects livelihood, you know. But going backwards, it was fun, I have to admit, to not have to think about that shit. And it was interesting. It was almost inspiring to see how people could come together in adverse worlds where, you know, they otherwise wouldn't necessarily connect with somebody and real friendships and connections are built. You know, there's some people who bought season tickets to go to the games just to meet people and do business, you know, and I'm sure they did because you have a entryway, you have a, a point of common interest to spark conversation about and to be able to sit with somebody for four hours and say, what do you do, man? You know, and get to know somebody new. And that's 
that's dope, you know? I wasn't thinking that deep as a kid. I just liked screaming, touchdown, you know, and high-fiving. And they would do this thing all around the stadium called the wave where, like, you know, every section from bottom to the top would get up and raise their hands at the same time. And when the whole stadium did it, it looked like a huge wave was going around the stadium. And the, the goal was to not stop the wave, you know? So it'd always be some drunk ass white boy or somebody who'd be like, come on, screaming up to the whole city. We're going to do the wave. You ready? One, two, three. And he would sit down and stand up and they'd go, oh. And you would watch the wave get bigger. And because we were up in the high seats, the ones that sometimes made me feel less than made me feel poor, right? Because we couldn't afford to sit lower. It would be interesting to see it developing. Here's one section. Look, and we say, look, 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 over there. They're doing it. They're doing it. And we would point, we would watch it happen, watch it grow. And we would wait to see when it was going to get to us. And we were excited to see like, oh shit, is it going to reach us? Is it going to reach us? And as we were sitting there, eventually it would finally get to us. And we were so excited to, we start rumbling our feet. And it was just so cool. And I, I used to wish that wave would never stop. Because to me, it was just so happy. You know, it was just a, a happy moment. It was really, really, really happy. And it was exciting to see people come together and just be in joy. Because even as a kid, you know the world is a miserable place. You know people are angry. You know misery loves company. And it's just good to see people come together. And there was a sense of, you know, local pride. Black, white, Spanish, Indian, Asian, don't matter. Like, we Redskins fans. And that was cool. We was really DC with it. They, we really loved Go-Go. We really loved Mambo Sauce and Blackness and all of that type of shit. You know what I'm saying? It's the one place where the city can come to, a city that's so divided between wealth and hood shit and crack and fucking everything, politics and shit, and it just all comes together, you know? But it was still problematic. <laughs> My uncle Rashid used to always call them the dead skins. That's where this this episode title comes from y'all going to see them dead skins you know it's funny because he was a redskins fans himself i guess i don't know yeah redskins jersey and stuff like that but he just was a he was also a lakers fan during the kobe era so he, he knew the greatness of a sports franchise and he saw obviously the redskins through the late 80s and early 90s being that great and saw how they had fallen off through the late 90s and early 2000s. And he knew they were some shit. So he called them dead skins. You know, it was funny because that's like the cardinal rule. Like, you don't disrespect your team. You, you ride with them. Win, lose, or fail. And it's just so funny because, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a sense of kind of ridiculousness about Redskins fans. I'm only referring to this team as the Redskins for this episode because it's relevant. It's relevant for where we've come from to where I'm going now. 
And, you know, there's this thing. I say Redskins fans or Maryland University fans, you know, because they had a run in the early 2000s. Cowboys fans are the same. They had their run in the 90s and stuff. And anybody of a failed past great franchise always holds on to the glory fan, glory years. Look at Knicks fans. New York Knicks fans are exactly the same. They just they act like they're the greatest team that's ever blessed the game of basketball. And they have not been good in so many years. And if you talk to any of them, I guarantee you they'll say, next year is our year. It's our year. We're doing it. This it's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> and you know, it was rooted, at least for the Redskins, in, in racism. I mean, all of these sports franchises was rooted in some sort of, like, you know, the history of the Redskins, they used to be the, the Boston Redskins, you know? And obviously, Boston is racist as fuck. <laughs> it didn't give a fuck about the derogatory perception of what, you know, red skin meant. You know? But I grew up very aware of the derogatory language around the term redskin because of my Uncle Sean. My Uncle Sean is like our our family historian, essentially, which essentially I'll probably end up being at some point. You know, he has our family trees, our family's genealogy. And, you know, this is where we can trace our tribes back. And, you know, he, he has actual names of individuals. So I am particularly... Choctaw and Chickasaw, they're, they're sister tribes, right? Choctaw and Chickasaw, rooted in Oklahoma, uh, originally in Mississippi until eventually they moved. They were one of the tribes that really held their ground for the longest before eventually relocating to Oklahoma. And that's where the reservations are now for both. Um, and also I am Tuareg. Tuareg is our African tribe, at least from my mother's side on the, uh, so the paternal side, not fraternal, but paternal. Um, and Choctaw Chickasaw comes from my mother's side on the maternal side, right? My grandmother and great-grandmother looked damn near straight off a reservation, you know? I'm I'm just outside of the grasp of a free college education. I'm like one, either one sixteenth or one thirty second Native American. Um, so I'm like one generation off of being able to be like, yo, hook me up. I need that free college education. That's a no for me. <laughs> I think my mother could have got it though, but my mother could have got free education anyway because her mother was working at Howard. So she could have got, went there for free. And she did for a little bit before uh, she had to drop out for reasons that maybe I'll talk about in a different episode, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been very aware, even on my father's side, I'm, I'm Piscataway, right? So there's, uh, a group of people that they call we sorts, which is also a derogatory term, but they are, uh, Piscataway Native American and English. And, uh, there's a very deep history of passing, uh, incest in that family. Um, if you ever look up the Proctors of Southern Maryland, you'll learn a lot about that. If you ever meet somebody with the last name Proctor in the DMV area, I guarantee you they're probably light-skinned for the most part, unless they're married into the family. 
And it comes from a deep history of passing, which unfortunately, you know, a lot of blacks felt they had to do as a means of survival, um, you know, through slavery and everything else. It's sad that that's our reality, but it's true. Some people felt that was better than going through the brutality of slavery. Um, but yeah, that is a Native American tribe, Piscataway. Um, and ultimately growing up, my uncle, because he's a family historian and very culturally aware, right? Um, he always asked us, like, how, how do you feel about being a, a Redskins fan, you know? And I, th I remember specifically sometimes for shock value, he'd be like, oh, you watching the niggers today? Like, oh, you watching the Washington niggers? He'd always say it with a hard ER to you. Like, God damn, like, come on, Unc, why are you, why are you taking away something so simple and making it complicated, you know? I always felt like that. Like, why can't they just be the Redskins? Like, why can't it just be a football? It's just football, man. It's not that deep. And... He never forced the issue. He never forced the politics. He allowed us to think for ourselves. I think maybe I'm the only one. I don't know what my brothers felt, but I know for myself, I was like, I don't know. I, I, I always felt conflicted about it because it was like, I know that we are Native American and I knew that we weren't supposed to say Indian because Indian was offensive, but I never took Redskin as offensive. But then as I started to understand the origins of it and you know, I was like, fuck, like, why are you making this so <laughs> complicated for me? <laughs> and um, all the while I was uh, watching people like Donovan McNabb play for the Eagles and he was a black quarterback and I played quarterback and I saw how much adversity he went through, like, I didn't even probably understand racism to his fullest capacity yet, but I knew something was wrong about how good he was and how every single week they were always making it seem like he was so bad. Like they were making it seem like he was just struggling and is he going to lose his job? And is he the guaranteed the quarter? And when is he going to win? A, it was always the next thing. Well, we know he can make it through the season, but when is he going to take him to the playoffs? And then he would take him to the playoffs consistently. And then it was, well, when is he going to get a Super Bowl? And then it was all these different kind of things. And it was like, yo, there's like 20 white quarterbacks who suck in the league, who never get this criticism. Why is he held to a higher standard? that his job is at risk and everything else like that. And he literally turned this entire friend, like the Eagles before Donovan McNabb maybe had Randall Cunningham and that was it. Randall Cunningham, as much as he was dope, was like a, such a narcissist that he was toxic. Donovan McNabb was the ideal definition of a safe nigga. He wasn't Allen Iverson. You know, I, I mean, same city. Same time period, but he wasn't Allen Iverson. He wasn't Michael Vick. He was Russell Wilson. <laughs> and it was still a threat. It still felt like such a threat. You know what I'm saying? And you, you I was just a kid, but I could, I, I could tell, I was like, yo, something's not right here about the way that they deal with this man in the media. 
and he hasn't done anything to deserve this shit. And I just felt a sense of, uh, uh, like I, I stood with him. I stood with McNabb and I, I loved McNabb and I loved watching McNabb. And as you start to watch McNabb, you start to appreciate the team around him. I appreciated Brian Westbrook, who was his running back. And I appreciated Freddie Mitchell. And I appreciated, you know, the tight ends he was playing with. And I appreciated the defense and Brian Dawkins and Jeremiah Trotter and all these names that you may or may not know if you watched football at the time. It's so funny because football players have such a short lifespan. They play from 20 to maybe like 35 if they're lucky. And when they turn anything close to 30, we say, damn, they're old. It's like, what? Old? They get like you're 30. <laughs> and they even kind of look old to you when they get on TV because they're so beat up. But, you know, they're very young. It is funny because we these names are so, like the biggest names in the world for a short time period. And then we forget all about them. Like rappers, you know, rappers come in the game and they make an impact and then they disappear. It's like, what happened to them? But say all that to say, I, I grew an appreciation for the team and the individuals around Donovan McNabb. And I used to say, I'm an Eagles fan and a Redskins fan. And that was a no, no in my city because they're in the same division and they are rivals. But I appreciated the Eagles for political reasons, the way that they stood with their black quarterback and kind of allowed him to be the face of this franchise. And, you know, city is Philly is just as rough of a city as D.C. is. Philly fans are literally crazy. Like, they'll beat, beat the shit out of you at the game. And it was rough, but they was, like, rough and loyal. And I always appreciated that. I never all... I mean, Redskins fans probably have an undying kind of loyalty <laughs> uh, that isn't even healthy but at the same time it's like our ownership just felt so racist and don't get it twisted I'm sure the Eagles ownership is equally as racist as anybody else I know it there's no doubt in my mind about that but what I do know is that at the end of the day you know the Redskins shit just felt like outwardly racist <laughs> In the name and the way they dealt with the team. I mean, in the stadium prices and shit, you go to the freaking uh, concession stands and we will watch over the course of a couple of seasons how something would go from, you know, a hot dog would be three bucks, something that was easily affordable because tickets are so fucking expensive. And next thing you know, you look up and it's like fucking nine dollars for a hot dog by itself, like. Yo, are you not making enough money? And everything just became so, like, you could tell the stadium was driven by money hungriness. And it's like, either you can afford this or you can't. Which, in today's world, seems obvious. Like, yeah, it's all about capitalism and money. That's that's what the system is. But I swear it was a time it just didn't feel like that when I was growing up. And I think even my parents and the adults of that time would agree. Like, yo, it, it was a social thing. And as corporations continue to buy stadiums, you know, there was Jack Kent Cook Stadium where the Redskins used to play. And then it became FedEx Field and FedEx was a corporation. And 
we've seen over the course of my lifetime, all of these stadiums go from being stadiums that were rooted in history, you know, soldier field and whatever field, you know, to then being brought up by these companies where now it's a FedEx field and Heinz stadium. And, you know, just see up the street from me right now, crypto.com. <laughs> but even when it was Staples center it was Staples, it's like, these are companies and corporations whose bottom line is money. Whereas the tradition of a lot of these things were creating a sense of pride for fans to come and enjoy watching their team. And I, I don't expect anything out of capitalism. I mean, like I said, all of these are stupid, filthy, rich owners who have a bunch of players of all ethnicities, but let's be honest, mostly black, working for them. And they can afford to pay the millions each, sure. So it's very far from slavery, but the process directly is reminiscent to oppression, you know? And even in that being rooted in oppression and, you know, the, you know, the draft process, looking at a process that looks very familiar to slavery, <laughs> you know, checking out all your vitals and they literally do your genealogy and see what is your build and everything else, you know, it is really a thing of like, yo, all through this time period, going to the games as a kid, there used to be like protests and shit. It, it didn't start out that way, but I know like when I was like five or six, no. When I was like 11, 12, all the way through like high school, we probably stopped going to the games when I was in high school, you know? And all through that time period from like 12 through like 16, there used to be Native Americans protesting outside the stadium and shit or like at the metro stations and shit and people trying to get people to sign petitions to change the name and all of these different things. And People just walk right past them. They wouldn't care. It wasn't important. Because in, in a, and how could, I mean, you know, you didn't spend all this damn money on season tickets and shit. I'm sure you don't want to be reminded that, hey, you just spent $2,000 or $1,500 on something that is offensive to somebody and disregards their livelihood or disregards their feelings or whatever, you know? You don't want to feel like the bad guy, so you just walk right past them like somebody trying to get you to buy their mixtape. <laughs> and it's messed up. It is kind of messed up. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's messed up that that's the approach that people took, but it was what it was. And then, of course, you know, Washington eventually started to put some political propaganda behind it. And, you know, I remember being at the stadium towards the last years we were going to the game, maybe around like 14 through 16, right? And they would legit have some sort of a commercial mid-game that would come on and it would be like two or three people who represented a specific, one specific Native American tribe and saying, you know, I, I take a sense of pride to the name Redskin. I've never felt offended by it. And I am a Redskin fan myself and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And they would always show this one player who was Native American Back in the fucking 19 dust balls, like 40s or 30s or some shit. And he played for the Redskins. He was probably like a running back or something, you know, and he was like a true indigenous native. One single player. And they would plaster this nigga like he was 
the fucking Jackie Robinson of football. Like, don't nobody know who that nigga is? Like, <laughs> the political propaganda was just so obvious. Even as a kid, like, I know I'm young, but like, I, we're not blind. We can see. We can see. And it just used to blow me. It used to blow me. And it used to confuse me. And at some point, I started to feel more like an Eagles fan than a Redskins fan. And my people used to stress me about it. They'd be like, you got to choose. You have to. I'm like, first of all, nigga, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do just because you say so. So if I say I'm an Eagles fan and a Redskins fan and you say I'm playing both sides, I don't give a fuck. I am what I am. And in truth, once again, going back to feelings, if I think about how that made me feel, I think they were probably trying to teach me a moral lesson. Everybody in my city, not just my parents. Everybody in my city was probably trying to teach me a moral lesson about loyalty. You know, if you ride with somebody and that's who you ride with, that's your folks. Like a gang mentality or a neighborhood mentality, you know. You can't play both sides. That'll get you killed. But in my mind and in my world, this is just fucking sports. Who cares? But unfortunately for a lot of us as black people, nothing is just sports. Nothing is just something. It's all life. It's all you practice how you play. Can I trust you? Are you loyal? And I think people would potentially judge my character based on the idea that I was like, oh, I like both. Let's say I wanted to go and sell drugs or some shit. Or I wanted to be in some sort of street shit. That might speak to my level of trustability. What are you loyal to? I don't know what you're loyal to. You play both sides on a lot of things. You want to play both sides with them niggas over there too? Luckily for me, I never had that experience in my life. I, I never wanted to be in no street shit or nothing like that, you know? But at the end of the day, when it really comes down to it, it definitely still affected my self-esteem. It definitely affected me feeling like you know, if enough people tell you you're doing something, you have to ask yourself, like, well, am I? If enough people tell you, like, you fake, you're not loyal, you 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 like the Eagles, you started out, you jumped to the enemy, this and that. You start thinking to yourself, like, well, damn, am I loyal? And in truth, it had to do with my city. And I think about now in hindsight, right, this is just kind of sparking. This is the, the show working how it's supposed to work again. I used to take so much pride in being a filmmaker from D.C., I used to take pride in being a DC nigga in general, you know, until I left. It was like when I moved to New York for school and I moved with my ex and it was all these New York niggas and people from all over. I'm like, shit, what you mean? I'm from DC. I'm from Maryland. Like, we different. You know what I'm saying? And it was a whole thing, like, to be able to take pride in this feeling of being, you know, uh, a hometown dude. It was a whole sense of pride of being able to say like, yeah, man, it's where I'm from, it's my city. So even though I wasn't as much of a Redskins fan, I still had Redskins stuff just to wear when I was in New Jersey or when I was in New York or whatever, just so people, somebody might look and say, oh, you must be from D.C., huh? What's up? Yeah, I fuck with D.C. Oh, I'm from D.C. too. It was like a calling card, you know? It worked sometimes, but it gave you an opportunity to talk about where you're from and why you're proud 
and you know we didn't always grow up with the Nationals. The Nationals was a new team coming. I mean, there was a team. They were the Senators when my dad was young, but we didn't have a baseball team. We had, you know, the the Orioles. We had the Wizards, but nobody get fucked with. The Wizards were trash, you know. And um, it's funny because when the Washington Nationals became a team, it was so neutral. It was so non-controversial, and it was just a W. That was it. Just a single W that meant Washington. And that almost kind of became our entire city logo. It is the only thing that could overtake the Redskins. The Capitals didn't work either because nobody watches hockey. It's all black. Black people don't watch hockey. <laughs> Most of us don't. So we got that W and we were like, okay, boom. And next thing you know, all you saw was W hats everywhere. It was like the new city it was like a Raiders hat in L.A., you know, neutral. It was like, yo, I'm from L.A. and I'm not blood and I'm not crip, but I wear this Raiders hat. L.A. was wearing Raiders hats like as if they was from Oakland and they not from Oakland. They It was their L.A. symbol to some extent outside of Lakers stuff, you know, because Dodgers was still blue. and Get it mixed up. Some crip stuff, you know. And uh, I just think it's so interesting because when it comes down to it, I became really intrigued with how I felt about my hometown pride when I moved to L.A. Because, like I said, the Redskins was more than just a football team and a sense of pride and all of that type of stuff. You know, it was it was a a sense of self. It was a sense of identity to some extent, even when I wasn't as much of a fan of the team. I was a fan of the logo and what it represented. What burgundy and gold meant to who I am. It meant dreads. Burgundy and gold meant Nike boots, polo boots, North Face, Mumbo sauce. You know what I'm saying? It meant Wale. It meant Dave Chappelle. It meant Kevin Durant. It meant Martin Lawrence. It meant Maya. It meant anything that came from D.C., Maryland, or Virginia within the direct confines of that DMV area. It meant the metro, you know? And I was driving to Los Angeles with my ex, and we were moving cross-country because I was coming out here for school. And by then, I had traveled a little bit. I had been to a couple of different places. I had been to Texas one time for a gig in Dallas. I had been to Atlanta for a college tour. I had been to New York because I lived there. I've been to Jersey because I had been there. I've been to Philly multiple times to visit friends and at Temple. I've been a couple of places, you know, for work, shooting and stuff. I've been to Boston one time. It was the most I had ever traveled. And driving cross country was just so excited, exciting for me because it was like a 37-hour drive. And I just got to see so much scenery and you know, our folks told us, don't don't stop from Georgia until you get to Arkansas, like Little Rock at the closest. Anything in between, skip it. Just because of the racism that's down there. And they're like, you know, you city Negroes, y'all don't understand the social obligations of being black in the South. And it could get you hurt, you know. And even that, I was like, hey, get the fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like, we good wherever we go. And you start to realize, like, nah, it's, it's really not that. Like, 
some of them places in the South, Alabama, Mississippi, all that, it, it, it's still like the 80s. And the 80s was still like the 50s to some extent, you know? It just depends on where you land, so you got to be careful. But I say all this to say on this road, there's so much going on. I'm on this road trip driving to L.A. to move out here for school, and I'm seeing all this scenery and beauty and just different cultures and 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 all different types of shit. I actually drove through New Mexico and Arizona and it was all white people and Native Americans, you know, but it was one particular part of the ride that I was going on. And on the side of the road, there were these like cheese buses, like yellow cheese buses and fucking trailers and shit. And they were broken down like on center blocks and shit and everything. And people were living in them. They had blinds in them and everything. And just the most desolate, I'm talking about like acres of land in between them just looked like some shit. And I thought it was some trailer park shit. I thought it was some white trash shit. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I, I was cracking jokes to my ex. I said, yo, look at this shit. I said, it's probably somebody over there fucking with their sister. I was like, it's giving meth chic. It's giving hillbilly, you know, I'm cracking jokes and shit and everything like that. And we riding and jokes only last, but for so long, it's been about 10 minutes. And this strip of land with all of this poverty is still there. And something just hit me. I got quiet. I got kind of serious. I was like, what am I really looking at? So I looked over to my ex and I said, hey, boo, go ahead and zoom out on the on the map for me real quick. I just want to see where we are. And when she zoomed out on the map, it said Navajo Reservation. And it's funny because I'm starting to get emotional about it again right now. Like just reimagining it, re-envisioning it exactly how it happened again. And it was like silence. And my my heart was hurt. And I, I don't remember if I talked about this in a past episode or not. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But it really just fucked with me. I was like, fuck. Because at that moment, it became so obvious, like, the worst poverty I had ever seen in my life up until that point was Baltimore, Maryland. I had been to Philly. Philly was the dirtiest city I've ever seen. And, you know, New York was a little rough, but the worst poverty I've ever seen, like, you know, fiends looking like zombies and desolate row houses boarded up and shit was Baltimore. And I was used to that because, you know, Go to Baltimore for all types of shit. But I had never seen nothing that looked like this before. This looked like post-apocalyptic. Like an entire area had been obliterated and people were nomads. Walking dead type shit, you know. People were living there. And of course, people who were living there were groups of people. An ethnic group that was completely a product of of genocide, you know? Settlers came to this country and stole their land from them, killed their ass, raped their women, gave them smallpox, all types of shit, made deals for their land, reneged on those deals, said, fuck you, do something about it, we'll kill you. This is where they left. This is where where they left at. And I had just recently been prior to that, working on a documentary uh, 
by this one company called Onyx Media. And I was a DP for them. And I was learning about police brutality and microaggressions and, you know, police reform. And a big part of it was a, a re-education initiative where we learned about the highest rates of police brutality and alcoholism and suicide rates and all this other shit. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, of course it's blacks, but come to find out even higher rates of police brutality and suicide and alcoholism and drug use and all these different kind of things is in the Native American communities. And I was like, how? But then it, it just struck me that I never see them. And it's funny how I even say them like I'm not them because I don't have a sense of attachment to them. But in that very moment, I said to myself, I said, I'm doing myself a disservice. I've never felt a sense of pride for my Native American heritage because I grew up somewhere that was so pro-black, somewhere that was so black, blackity, black, black, black is what matters. You a nigga, if you dark in this country, Jamaican, African, whatever, this and that, it don't matter. They look at you as black. You a nigga, the same to the system. I never thought about the other side of that with Native Americans because they were never right in front of me. And I cried. I was driving and I was just crying. It fucked me up. And uh, when I got to L.A., took anything I had that was Redskins that I brought with me, probably thinking the same thing I was thinking before, like a sense of pride and, you know, oh, yeah, it's an entry point for conversation. I'm from D.C. Threw it away. I had a Redskins bear that I was always keeping to give to my kid if I ever had one because I wanted them to have a sense of identity. Yeah, you might be from wherever you were born at, but you really from D.C. Nope. Burnt it in a bonfire. <laughs> Let it go. Threw away a little Redskins license plate I had. I had hats. Threw them away. Gave them away. I had a Redskins jacket. I gave it to my boy who's out here from D.C. I said, you can have it, bro. Just got rid of all that shit, you know? I think I still have one hat left. One single hat. And it's funny because maybe I've been holding on to that as a final grips of my D.C. pride, DMV pride, Maryland pride. And after I stop recording this, I'll probably go get rid of that too. You know? Because... In order to have self-love, you have to have a sense of self that feels rooted in love. And I have a lot of parts of me that feels rooted in love, but there's so much that I need to know. I, I really want to visit my tribe's reservation in particular. My uncle said he would go with me. I want to go and just, yo, I'm you, you're me. Let's Let's learn, like teach me something, you know, if you'll accept me. On some tour shit, some tour shit, whatever, I don't care. I need to learn. And uh, I think there's a somewhat of a sense of detachment from my Native American heritage, too, because of the fact that I have so much love for blackness that growing up when people would say, oh, your hair is so pretty. You know, I'm like, what are you mixed with? I used to be mad, like, nah, I'm black. What you mean? I talked about this in my episode called Black, Blackity, Black, Black. <laughs> but 
you know, I, I was too black. I was like, yo, like, I'm not mixed with nothing. I'm black, nigga, even though I really was. Because I, I knew what they meant when they would say that. They meant, oh, you must be mixed with something, which means you're exotic, you're ethnic, you're whatever. And the thing that takes away from your blackness supposedly adds to your beauty, adds to your worth. And I never wanted to accept that. I never wanted to adapt that as my thinking. So even from something as simple as the mentality around uh, a cultural pride, I never wanted, because people would do that. People say, yeah, you know, I, I'm a little Cherokee. I got a little Cherokee. My fam- oh, my family, Indian. Your family's not. Stop it. People do that shit trying to, <laughs> oh, I got good hair. What the fuck is good hair? I used to hate that shit. And, uh, but I really want to tap back in. I really want to tap back in. I really want to learn about my culture on a deeper sense. And I want to fully understand myself because I, I, it's a part of my spiritual understanding as well. You know, spiritually, I feel so rooted in so many things that go beyond just black. And I know there's so much. When, when we think of Native Americans as a whole, regardless of the tribe, we think of spiritual people. We think of people who respect the earth who respect living things, who respect nature. We think of them as giving, you know, that's what Thanksgiving, you know, even though the story of Thanksgiving is not the real story of Thanksgiving, the real story of Thanksgiving is people getting scalped and heads being chopped off and niggas getting smallpox and goddamn people taking over their shit and pilgrims saying, boom, this is our land now. But they make it seem like, oh, we came and traded and bartered and, had a big happy kumbaya turkey together. Fuck. Holidays for black people is just an excuse to eat. <laughs> but I'm not celebrating that shit like as if it's a thing, you know. And I'm glad that there's more awareness. I'm glad that there's Indigenous Peoples Day now. I'm glad that the Redskins have officially changed their name to the Washington football team and now the Washington Commanders. And the city is at uproar about the fact that they're called the commanders they think it's so corny they hate it it sucks and i agree i think they should have just changed their colors up to like cobalt gray or black or some shit or like military colors or something just completely rebrand it but they want to hold on so hard to that history and what many would say we want to hold on to the culture and origins of our team's pride it's like yo you holding on to origins of racism and bullshit because they never changed their name because they actually gave a fuck. If y'all don't remember, the Washington football team, a.k.a. Washington Commanders, changed their name immediately after Cullen Kaepernick got a deal with Nike. He got signed with Nike after he was being blackballed for the whole taking a knee shit and... Immediately, the very next day, Nike took down every single Redskins paraphernalia off of their site. Every bit of gear, anything was no longer on their site. It was gone. And within 24 hours, Washington responded and said, oh, my God, we've just come to a realization. This is so racist and we're so sorry. And we we have a conscious we are no longer going to be referred to by the Washington Redskins. 
We don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Oh, bullshit. Come on, man. I'm not buying into that shit. You give a fuck about your pockets. You give a fuck about your dollars. You give a fuck about not losing that bottom line. Because all the years that I went to them games and nobody respect. In fact, you went out of the way to create bullshit propaganda to make it seem like you cared when you didn't. Even though there's protesters outside who you're ignoring and don't give a fuck about. So fuck the Redskins. Fuck the Deadskins. Fuck the history of the team. Fuck the motherfucking horse they rode in on. Fuck they pockets of the millionaires and all of them. And that's not me saying fuck D.C. or fuck Maryland. That's me saying fuck the Redskins. Because ultimately, if they had the opportunity and I wasn't around, they'd probably say fuck me. So it's fuck you too. And that's just how I feel. Straight like that. But I do appreciate them being a catalyst in my life. Something that made me feel like I needed to tap in with self tap in with God, tap in with my ancestors and learn more about my culture, step up to the plate and have something to pass down to my kids so that they have a sense of self that's rooted in self-love and, and pride, cultural pride and identity, you know? Something that they can trace their origins back to outside of our African-American culture, you know? And they can still appreciate that DC shit, but I I, I want to be worldwide now. That's the thing. I felt like me letting go of my sense of DC local pride was me letting go of a small-minded mentality. I never wanted to be a big fish in a small pond. I always wanted to be in a big pond and be a comfortable fish. You know, I just want to be, I just want to exist. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what I aspire for greatness. I aspire for all human beings to be respected as human beings. But we can't go forward without going back and we got to address some things, you know. And that's what I'm trying to do right now with my own sense of healing. That's what I'm doing through therapy. And that's what I do through the conversations that I have with the people around me. I think this season I'm going to end off every episode as a reminder that therapy is very useful and I pay $10 a week for my sessions, you know, because I have insurance. And if you don't have insurance, you should try to get insurance, whether it's through public assistance or even if you're an independent contractor or something, you know, shit, insurance be 30 to $60 a month. I was talking to my barber the other day. I said, nigga, that's one head in LA. For one head, you could be protected and you could have access to somebody who helps you to just decipher your feelings. Not get in your head to judge you, but just allow you to get in your own head to ask you how you feel. And when you have a clear mind and you feel healthy and you feel motivated, you feel empowered. and You feel like you can be capable to perform at your highest level. So... Yeah, I'm encouraging everybody. Get you some therapy. You know what I'm saying? Ask yourself how you feel and be unapologetic and be selfish and put yourself first. You know what I'm saying? Because you deserve to be as clear as you deserve to be. Back in the day, 
words it's your god given right to be healthy so hey, that's my little rant i appreciate y'all for rocking with me man this is back in the day catch y'all next time if I could kick it so when he went out with girls I could go tagging along nagging if she had a sis maybe could mac a baby hood rat y'all remember way back then when it was 1985 all the way live I think I was about 10 one of those happy